Sly Dog Music Cast. Now here's your host, the Sly Dog. Hello and welcome back to the Sly Dog Music Cast. And I'm super excited to have today with me, formerly at Kansas. He's also worked with Petra and as a producer, and he's been in a band called Mastodon. Uh, John Elfonte. John, how you doing? I'm doing good. Thank you. It's great to have you on, man. I know we've been trying to line this up for a while, so I'm, I'm super pumped to finally talk to you. I know you've been out on the road. How have the, how have the dates been? Very well. We, we, we go out with this um, ensemble called Voices of Rock Radio. Ah. And it's, it's really popular. We do a lot of corporate shows. It's me and Kevin Schaufon, who was with Journey for a little stint. And then he was in the Storm, a group called The Storm with Ross Valerie and those guys. Nice. And, and uh, Randall Hoff and Leonard Skinner. So it's, and we all use the same band and we're working all the time. It's a great, great show. Nice. That sounds like a lot of fun. I would, I would love to see a show like that. Uh, but today I'm super excited because we're going to kind of do a little bit of a, a historical look at your, uh, your career because I, I like doing podcasts where we, we kind of started the, the past, work our way to the present. And I feel like you have such an interesting career in the music industry. I think it's only appropriate that we do an episode like this for you. So thanks again for coming on the show. And let's go back to the beginning. I wanted to talk about what's starting with, what is your first musical memory? Oh boy. Um, my first musical memory was probably playing at a junior high teen dance with my brother Dino and I, just him and I. And we were pretty bad, but <laughs> and they didn't pay us, but that was my first real memory of, you know, doing it with any kind of seriousness at all. But before that, you know, I grew up in, in Levitt, Levittown, New York, and um, I made a drum set, because I'm originally a drummer, I made a drum set out of a cardboard boxes and Dino made a uh, guitar out of like pieces of wood and rubber band strings. And, <laughs> and I was only probably about eight years old then. So that, that's going pretty far back. So the bug bit you pretty early then, it's, it sounds like. It hasn't quit biting since. <laughs> that's good. That's good. Yeah. I love it. And from what I was reading online, and correct me if I'm wrong, some of, like you mentioned playing with Dino, like your earliest, you know, kind of bands, you could say was like you and your brothers. Like it was, so was it more than just you and Dino in the band? Like, did you have other like family members in the band with you? Well, you know, we moved out of Levittown, New York, and we moved to California because my dad got laid off and he went to the sister company in California. And out there were my two cousins, same last name, Elefante. We started a band called The Brotherhood when I was about 13. 14 maybe and we were really really popular we were getting booked 16 18 months in advance because we we were just we were so good and we rehearsed so much that you know it was and we had you know we, we were playing everything from 60s and 70s and even 50s for that matter so you're covering a lot of a lot of musical ground that's really oh yes for sure Nice. So you kind of like had like a little bit, I guess you could say regional success in, in a way. Like, so you played up and down SoCal a lot. I'm imagining like you playing, like, I don't know, you playing venues like the whiskey and stuff like that, or is it even smaller? Than no, that? no, no, no. We were too young. I, I couldn't play the whiskey. <laughs> we were doing, we were doing weddings. We were doing um, high school dances, high school proms, just, you know, any, any place where somebody wanted a big variety of music. And then we started playing at Disneyland. Oh, wow. Which was a big deal for me. I mean, we had to join the Musicians Union when I was like 15. Wow, that's crazy. It was the first time I ever watched a dollar bill like uh, vanish. 
<laughs> uh, that's funny. <laughs> yeah. So what? Is the, I, just the, um, this may be a bit of a banal question, but I am curious. What does that entail? Joining them, like a musicians' union? Like I don't even know. Well, I mean, Disney, Disneyland in California is is it's a union facility, so anybody that works there has to be in the union. Whether you're cleaning tables, whether you're serving tables, whether you're whatever, even the even the bands had to join the union. And it was the first time I ever, you know, I saw, you know, like a check I would get, I think I'd get a check for about $250. And by the time everything was taken out for union dues and taxes, it was like 80 bucks. <laughs> <laughs> it was the first time I, that was, that was, I got acquainted with, you know, the whole tax system and, and the union dues and, but it was worth it, man. I would have done it for free. Uh, let's let's fast forward a bit. So you're playing with the Brotherhood. Do you? Uh, are, is there another band between the Brotherhood and Kansas, or is that kind of like your next step? In yeah, the there was. Well, Dino and I started wanting to write originals. We didn't want to do top forties anymore. Okay. And we started a group called Elefante, believe it or not. And then we started playing in the clubs, like you mentioned earlier. And we really, you know, we played a lot of original stuff, but we still had to play some covers to keep the crowd. We used to, we used to open for Jonathan Kane all the time. Oh, cool right before we joined the babies. And um, so, you know, we made our rounds into the clubs and, you know, a lot, a lot happened then. I mean, I lost my voice when I was about 18 years old. I mean, I, I, I couldn't, I, I used to sing like Michael Jackson, you and I, you know, but I used to sing all that high stuff. And then when I was about 17, 18, I started losing my high range. Oh, wow. And it was like, I'm done. I mean, and I found a vocal teacher that was really, really had this great technique, the Seth Riggs technique that Michael Jackson took and Stevie Wonder. And it's the best thing I ever did. So, but I had to quit singing in the, in the top 40, man. So we had to hire another singer because I couldn't show up to my lessons horse, you know? Right. And I gained almost seven notes on my range. Wow. And I learned how to sing without killing myself. That, that, that's important. I think it served you well because I've seen recent videos you performing. You still got that. You still got that range, man. You, whatever you did, it clearly that, that method clearly worked out. Oh, it did. It did, really did. Nice. It was definitely a God thing, my friend. Absolutely. So you're, you're playing with Alfonte, and I'm just curious. So you're playing any all these local gigs. I'm, I'm curious. Did you ever get a chance to open for someone? Like maybe you got a chance for open a can for Kansas before you were in Kansas, or was that no, no nothing that high up. Okay. I think I think the biggest the biggest um, name we ever opened for was Nick Gilder. You remember him? Yep. Hot Child in the City. Yeah. So how did you hear about the Kansas gig at first? Was was there like a rumor going around, or like was like there an audition note posted, or was it like you know just like I heard it from someone for, who heard it from someone that Kansas is looking for a new singer? How did that even happen? Well, it was it was. Uh, do you remember the band Idol Cure? I do not. Okay, they were around the late 80s, 90s. Anyway, those guys were good friend, friends of mine. And um, that story gets even more interesting as we go on. But one of the guys in the band came running up on my driveway one day. We, we converted my parents' garage into a studio. One of, the guy, one of the guys comes running up my driveway and he goes, he heard Steve Walsh left Kansas and they're looking for a new singer. And this guy said, John, you'd be perfect. You'd be perfect. And I said, yeah, right. How many guys are going to audition? A few million? Like, I'm going to get that gig. And I just blew it off completely. But we had some pretty good demos together because we'd been do doing originals, like I said earlier. And there was a guy named Jay Cooper, an attorney that was shopping our, our 
our tape to try to get a record deal. And I called Jay and I said, Jay, I heard that Steve Walsh left Kansas. And do you have any connections to that organization? He says, as a matter of fact, I do. My, my partner is their attorney right next door. So he gave a tape to his, his, uh, his partner, Chuck Hurwitz. Chuck Hurwitz passed it on to the management. And bam, a week later, I got a call from the management. I went up to meet him. I went up to audition in the studio. And everything just started unfolding. It was just pretty unreal. That's crazy. I'm just curious. Were you a fan of the band at that point? Oh, absolutely. Nice. Nice. So you, you got the chance to, to audition. Uh, what do you remember about the audition? Like, did you like go in and play with the band or like, did you like just go in and like sing to a track like in the studio? Like how did that process like unfold itself? Well, the, 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 no, the band wasn't there. It was only the management and this world famous producer, Ken Scott, who did Super Tramp, David Bowie, the Beatles. It goes on and on and on missing persons. Um, I was so nervous, man. <laughs> I can't even tell you how nervous I was. I mean, my knees were rattling and my voice started quivering. I mean, it was hitting the notes, but my voice was quivering. And so we finished the audition. I walked in the, into the control room and they said, Hey, thanks, John. We appreciate it. And I thought, well, that didn't, that didn't go too well. I guess that's, I can say goodbye to that one. And when we got in the car on our way home, my brother Dina says, you got the gig, man. You better pack your bags. <laughs> I said, what are you talking about? He said, they knew you were nervous. They were talking about the fact that they knew you were going to be there. Who's not going to be nervous doing this? But your voice just fit the music perfectly. It, it was just, you had the right tenure. You had the right tone. I mean, everything just worked. I said, well, I'm glad you think so. And lo and behold, about a week later, I got another call from the management. The guys in the band want to meet you. We would like to fly, you to fly to Atlanta. And I guess I could say the rest is history. Do you remember what song you sang? Uh, Fair Exchange. Yeah, it was, fair, it was fair exchange. Yeah, you flew down to Atlanta, and uh, they're probably, they've probably already started working on Vinyl Confessions. Uh, one thing I thought is kind of cool, like, you know, sometimes when a new singer comes into a band, they're kind of just thrust in, like, okay, here's the songs, let's go. You actually got to write quite a bit for Vinyl Confessions, and even more so for Drastic Measures. I did. Uh, 
when you got there right away, was that something like kind of Carrie was like, hey, if you have material, you know, bring it in? Well, you know, when I first walked in and met all the guys in the band for the first time, they were all they got they all got there before I was before I showed up. And they said, no, we don't want to do a Kansas song. We want to do one of your songs. And they said, we've learned it's time we face it or face it, whatever it was called on the record. And they started playing it, you know, and, and they in their Kansas style, if you know what I mean. Yeah. And I thought I was going to levitate like precious pop. unbelievable it sounded so unreal and it was i mean it was really like an out-of-body experience seriously that's so cool like especially for them to like take the time to learn one of your songs not just go okay come in we want you to do like icarus or something like that no no we're gonna do one of your songs that's that's incredible like yeah that i, lo I love it. i love that man uh, i wasn't i wasn't expecting it yeah that i can i can only imagine so you, you get there and you start making, you, you guys start working on the record. Um, what, what are your memories from making the album the, the most? Um, lots of long hours. Um, just, you know, it was, it was, um, it was the first time I'd, I'd ever made a record with that kind of professionalism and that kind of, you know, budget, the band had a big budget and we were able to do things that needed to be done where, you know, making a record on my own, we just didn't have the budget to do it like that. And, you know, it's like, we, we just we just kept writing. Some some songs were written on the spot. Some were, you know, we, we would take some time. The guys would go home to Atlanta and I would go home to Long Beach, which was only a drive for me. And then we'd come back with a couple more songs. And, you know, I remember writing Chasing Shadows, which is one of my favorites. Same here. Again, that's that's on my list to talk about later. Um, one thing I wanted to talk talk about. I wasn't sure how to frame this question, so apologies if it comes off a little clunky. But uh, no I, I know one thing that was kind of part of the reason for Steve Walsh leaving is Carrie wanted to go in a more faith based direction. Uh, was that something he kind of like asked of your writing right away? Like I kind of want you to write for this style. No, not at all. They didn't even know I was a Christian. Oh, okay. Until about. I want to say two or three week, two or three weeks in, I was talking to Carrie on the phone about something, and 
you know, they weren't looking. They, the management did not want another Christian in the band because I think he was afraid of it being a quote unquote religious band. And he, and he didn't, he didn't want that. He thought it would just, you know, really, really cut into their career. And I told Carrie, I said, Carrie, you, you know, I'm a believer, you know, I'm a, I'm a born again Christian. And he went silent on me. I thought he hung up and he was so enamored. He said, that's what Dave and I and Phil prayed for that the Lord would bring us a, a, a Christian singer that, that would fit the bill. He didn't even know. They never asked me. Wow, that's, and it was that's, pretty unbelievable. That's amazing. That's truly amazing. Well, I do think that that, that lyrical approach did work its way into the album, especially on some of Carrie's songs. And I think oh, no it, 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 it worked out nicely. Um, so before we get into the tracks on this album, I want to touch on, I read somewhere that uh, Roger Taylor is singing on the album. Did that actually happen? Or is that just, you know, internet Wikipedia being Wikipedia? He sang all over the record. Oh, wow. Do you, what was that like? How did he even end up like, you know, getting involved? Well, you know, Kansas had toured with Queen for a long time. And, you know, Roger Taylor was friends with Phil, the drummer. And one day Roger comes walking in, he goes, you know, hey, mate. We're going to do some vocals. I said, really? You're going to sing with us? He said, yeah. And uh, as soon as he started singing, you know, out in the room, you know, I'd leave one headphone off one ear. And I would listen. I said, there's that, there's that upper end of that queen vocal right there. It was almost kind of a controlled, cool, screechy high end. But it, um, I heard it. I mean, I just heard it. It was just, it was unreal. I think sometimes people forget he's like these, like, you know, Freddie Mercury could sing really high, but man, Roger Taylor could like do that like crazy falsetto, like in Bohemian Rhapsody. Exactly. It was, it was, it was pretty cool, man. When I, when I, when I heard him in the same room, it was really cool. Nice. So I wanted to touch on a few uh, specific songs from this album. And I think we can't, uh, we can't go, go forward without talking about the big hit, uh, Play the Game. become a Kansas classic in a way it's a song the band still plays live today and it did really well for you guys at the time what's your memories of working on this song and recording this song um well when we first got the song um the music was written by somebody else it wasn't written by the band and the band had written the lyric but we, you know the, the song needed a lot of work and 
that was a time. I mean, you have to you have to realize that that was a point in time where record companies were demanding singles. They wanted singles. No more album oriented playing. You know, thirty minute songs. They wanted singles. So we, you know, we we had to we had to succumb to that. In fact, I think Carrie has a song on that record that talks about it, right? Um, oh, uh, I think that's on the next record with Mainstream. Mainstream. That's right. You're right. Um, you know, the record company wanted singles. They, they, they didn't want these long drawn out, you know, prog songs anymore. I mean, you couldn't survive without singles. So I think, I think we, uh, I think we did it with class and I think we did it in, in keeping with Kansas's style. You know, I was, I was amazed that we were able to really keep it a Kansas song. Because you know, when I first heard it, I thought it's a cool song, but I'm not sure it's going to work. It ended up, it, it, it did. Yeah, it ended up being a Kansas classic now. Like, it's something that fans still love. And one thing I always thought was cool, that even, like, after you were out of the band, you know, sometimes, you know, when some, like, like a singer leaves and then comes back, they won't sing the songs of the guy that replaced them. But Steve Walsh would actually sing this song, And Fight Fire with Fire, when he was in Kansas. Right. So I thought that was so cool. I think they did uh, Chasing Shadows, too. Oh, wow. <laughs> i have to see if I can find, some, find that online. That'd be really cool. I think, I think that's what the new singer, Ronnie Platt. I'm not sure Steve ever did it. Do you know I've never met Steve Walsh? Really? I was going to ask you if you ever had, actually. I've never met him. I've tried emailing him 15 times just to tell him how big of an influence he was on my career, and he's never answered back. Uh, you, you and me both. I've tried to get him on the podcast, but I haven't uh, got a response. From what I've been told, he's a very uh, he keeps to himself. He's a very quiet guy. He does. He does. I wish I would have got a chance to meet him. I just never, I never have shaken his hand or met him. Yeah. Who knows? Maybe someday. Hopefully. Hopefully. Um, and one, one thing I thought was kind of cool. Um, I, I, so I was interviewing a younger singer. His name is Ronnie Romero. He sings for Richie Blackmore's Rainbow and the Michael Schenker group now. Uh, and he just put out a solo album of uh, classic rock covers. And one of the songs he did was play the game tonight. And when I interviewed him, I mentioned I'd be talking to you. And he was like, like, oh, wow. Tell, you know, t tell him, you know, how how much his voice influenced me. So I just wanted to pass it on. Yeah, you, oh, that's cool. There's, there's still younger guys in the game that, you know, find your voice, you know, inspiring. That's great. Glad you told me that. Yeah. I'll, I'll send you the track. It's, he did a really good job with it, I think. Yeah. Send me the track. I'd like to hear it. Awesome. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of people have covered Chasing Shadows. Yeah, that's the next one on my list. That's a really cool song. And I think like a fan favorite, like talk about this one.
I think it's a shame that it wasn't a hit. Yeah. Because it, it, it had all the, it had all the earmarks of it, of it being a hit. It didn't sound anything like dust in the wind, but it had a dust in the wind kind of eeriness to it. And it just seemed like the perfect follow-up to dust in the wind. You know, I'm not going to compare it to that because dust in the wind is a, is a iconic classic, but, I, I just don't think the song ever got its due. I, I mean, I really don't. I, I think it was good. I think it would have been a huge hit. Yeah. There's great footage on YouTube for anyone listening uh, from, from the Vinyl Confessions tour. Like there's a pro shot show and you guys do that song and it's just so cool. Like it, like, I think you guys kind of stripped it down for the live show. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, yeah. That, that song, uh, that's, that's one with, that's one you wrote, right? You wrote the lyrics to that? Uh, Dino and I wrote it. Okay. It seems like it has a lot of meaning to, meaning to it like is that is that song really special to you lyrically yes but it came to us really quick you know it it, it really it was one of those songs that came really quick and just like fight fire with fire came to us in 20 minutes and okay. um but anyway you know that song came really easy and that, i think it is a special lyric it's you know the message in the bottle has been lost at sea i just think it has some cool metaphoric um parts to it uh fair exchange this is uh one of my two favorite songs on the on the album talk about that one oh, i love singing it i mean i loved it Every, everything carrie writes i love i mean that's why i left the band when he left the band because i thought you know he's one of the main reasons i joined and without without carrie i just don't think this is going to be the same kansas anymore so I decided to go out and just try my wings, you know, on my own. And um, again, the rest is history. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the last one I have on my list is uh, I love Crossfire because I think you and Robbie get to do a really a lot of really cool vocal interplay on that song. You have any memories of that one? opinions a masterpiece um so yeah the, the record comes out and it seems it seems like from what i've read it got the reception was pretty well actually you know even though it kind of had a different bend lyrically than prior kansas records might have had the, the reception was pretty well wasn't it it was excellent i mean it was really the first major rock and roll band with a pretty heavy christian influence that's why i was so i was so bummed when, when carrie left because 
you know, I told him, Carrie, we, we got the coolest platform in the world right here. I mean, we got the group Kansas that's, that's you know, worldwide, you know, major, major rock band. And we can, you know, we can put Christian lyrics in our song or, you know, stuff that can compel people to want to know, know the Lord. And it just, you know, for whatever reason, it just didn't hang on. But I really wish it would have. Was there something that kind of disenchanted Carrie? Because it seems like, and we'll get to it more in a little bit. Because it seems like after uh, the tour for the album, he kind of very much retreats when we get to Drastic Measures. Yes, uh, I think it was, he was putting together AD, the band AD. And he had some really good players over there, Warren Hamm, Mike Gleason, and Dave Hope was in the band. You know, uh, he saw himself, and I, I got I to gotta tell you, Alex, that there's, I, I don't know how to quite say this, but whenever you're a Kerry Livgren, somebody of that status, yeah, there are many, many, many people tugging at you. Do this, do that. Oh, don't stay with Kansas. Go do this Christian thing with AD. Oh, do this, do that. Oh, you don't want to do that. And I think Kerry was being, I think his, his ears were getting tickled by too many people. You know, and I, I think that that had some that has some bearing on, on, on what went down. I don't know if that made his ultimate decision, but there were so many people talking at him. We'd go to a show. We would do a show and there'd be 15 people backstage just tugging at him, you know, do this, do that, do this. You know, it was, um, I'm not going to name names, that's for sure. Right. Right. The, 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 the hangers on and as I've, I've, I've heard some bands call them the punishers that hang on. Oh, it's brutal, dude. It's brutal. They just need to keep their mouth shut and keep their mouth shut. <laughs> For sure. Just let what will be, will be. Yep. Let the, let, let the band play the music. Exactly. So let's talk about the tour for a second. It seemed like the band got expanded. You mentioned Warren Ham. He was part of that tour playing saxophone and other instruments. Uh, what do you remember about the Vinyl Confessions tour? What I remember about the Vinyl Confessions tour is I got to play with the, all the original members. Of course, Steve Walsh wasn't there, but it was everybody. Robbie, Dave, Phil, Kerry, Rich. It was all the original guys. That was the last time Kansas was ever in that, um, in that lineup. Yep. I mean, I was a new singer, so it wasn't the original band. But getting to be in the band with all the original guys and doing concerts for those guys was unbelievable. Have you seen the Live at Omaha show? Yep. Yep, I have. I mean, if you don't look at me, you just listen. It's not bad. <laughs> you, had, you had that wonderful Afro going on. Oh, hey, you know it, baby. Yeah, it was funny. I had to laugh. I was reading the comments on that on YouTube, and someone wrote, wow, what happened to Steve Walsh's hair? Well. <laughs> I, thought that, I thought that was kind of funny. I was like, well, that's not, well, that's not Steve, for starters. <laughs> yeah. But that's a great show, man. It's, and if you listen to it, it's. I couldn't listen to it for 15 years because I couldn't stand to look at it. <laughs> but my kids found it. My daughter found it when she was about five. And daddy, come here and look at this. Look at this. Look at this. A YouTube or something. Yeah. And I sat in there and watched the whole thing. And I went, I had no idea how good this is. Yeah, that's what I wish like it would get a release of some kind, some kind like, a, like a live in Omaha or like well, it, live it did. confessions. Oh, yeah? It did. It did in Europe. And... What's really a funny story about that, 
it is it's live confessions uh, live from omaha i forget what it says on the cover but it also go, it also reads there's a big sticker on the front that says steve walsh at his best <laughs> if i had it here i'd, I'd show it to you but <laughs> oh that that's funny <laughs> hey that was a compliment to me yeah <laughs> yeah i mean vocally you you are you're blowing blowing the, the roof off the place on that one like the opening song at that show, I think, is Paradox, and that's not an easy song to sing. So. No, not at all. Yeah, good on you. Um, next, I wanted to touch on, uh, it's kind of a two-sided question. Uh, this would also be the last tour with Robbie uh, for a long time, and uh, sadly, he left us uh, last year, unfortunately. Yeah. But uh, yeah. Robbie always seemed like a cool guy, and I'm just curious, like, you know, what your memories are of him, and do you have a favorite, you know, one that stands out from that period? Robbie was, Robbie was a jovial guy. Robbie ultra talented, knew his place in the band, but the guy, kind of guy that you'd be around, he'd make you feel good. You know what I mean? He'd kind of take any, any kind of heaviness off the conversation about if there were band issues. Cause you know, whenever you get together with the band, you want to talk about band issues. And he didn't care to talk about band issues. He, he, he would rather talk about something else. And, you know, I appreciated that. He was, I always really loved, loved Robbie. He, when he'd get mad, it was, you could tell that it was like this, this forced kind of madness, you know what I mean? It's like Robbie, come on, man. It's it's not in your personality to be that mad. So just just be Robbie, you know. And uh, but what a great guy, man. He sure missed. I'll tell you that. When when I found out that he passed away, I just I wept. Yeah. Um, so I was always curious because you know the internet will tell you one thing, but I always take what the internet says with a grain of salt. It says that he kind of left because he didn't like the direction the band was going, and was that really the case? Uh, I'm just going to answer that with a no. Okay. Well then, well then we'll just, we'll just leave that as that is. So the tour happens and it seemed like it went pretty well. And next we get into a record. I really love of the two records. I think this is my favorite, honestly. I think there's a lot of, like you wrote a lot of really cool songs for drastic measures. And uh, we talked about Carrie kind of getting disenfranchised with this one. So did Phil or someone kind of step up and say, okay, you got any songs for us? Oh Yeah. And my biggest regret of that record is that there needs to there needed to be more carry. I wanted more carry. If it would have been all carry, I would have been I would have been happy. I mean, I I didn't want to come in and take over and and, and try to be a carry living clone and write and, and clone and write songs like that. I mean, we needed carry on that record. That guy's one of the best writers that ever lived, in my opinion. And um, I was really bummed that he wasn't a bigger part of that record. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it does seem at times, like, as much as I enjoy this one, like, there's two different records here. There's the, there's the three songs he contributed, which really feel like can, classic Kansas. Like, mm-hmm. like, so the, like, I could see Steve Walsh singing these songs. And then right. the, you've got also, like, I feel like you brought in these great melodic rock songs, like Fight Fire with Fire and Everybody's My Friend. Right. So, so, so like, like, do you feel like there was a conflicting sound and tone there? Yeah, I do. But that happens sometimes. I mean, you can listen to a Super Tramp record and kind of get the same vibe between the, the two writers. And I mean, it happens. But like I said earlier, if, if I had it my way, there would have been a lot more carry on that record because I, I loved nothing more than singing his songs. Yeah, for sure. Um, but there's a lot of highlights on this record to touch on. You mentioned how easy it was to write Fight Fire with Fire. What did that start with? Thank you. 
Dino come up with the and then I just started going fire with fire. Anyway, hey, I did that. I did that. Keep going. And so we it probably took us 20 minutes to write. Wow. Yeah, and just like that, a Kansas classic was born. Yeah, it was it was a top 10 single. Yeah, the video was popular too, from what I understand. Like uh, from oh, what I what I read, it was like blown up and shown in movie theaters before movies too, like as like a trailer. Oh, I don't know about that, but that big mosquito. I, I, I wish I still, <laughs> I wish I still had it to scare my kids. Oh, you have you. Ha <laughs> I, I wonder if someone does like. There's like Kansas storage somewhere, and the big mosquito still exists. Probably so. I, I, that's one thing I love about early MTV, man. I don't know if you share the same sentiment, but I feel like those early videos, it was like, we don't really know what to do with this medium yet. So what's anybody got? Uh, Big Mosquito? Yeah, let's go with that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that was pretty weird. Yeah, and, I, I, yeah great song. And uh, one the band still plays today. I, I, I follow the band Setlist online. I saw that they've been playing that these last few shows. So uh, very cool. Uh, the track two on this album is one of my favorite songs. I love Everybody's My Friend. Hello, hello. clever lyrics and uh, i was i'm sure like this song kind of you lived this song did you I ever did. did you ever actually get called in your hotel room at the middle of the night just to, with someone saying i like the way you sing i don't know if it was the middle of the night but it was it was i was already in bed put it that way because <laughs> i usually had a five five a.m flight so i had to be up by three so can you imagine trying to be in bed to get up for a five a.m flight after a meet and greet that ends at about midnight and your, your body's just completely charged up, you know, and well, man, I got to try and get two and a half hours of sleep so I can sing tomorrow night. <laughs> it was crazy. Yeah. I love the backing vocals on that one. You, you know, the hello, hello. That's so yeah. cool. Thanks. Yeah. Great song. Um, the, the one of the songs on this record that like, I think is the most unique just because I don't think there's any other Kansas song like it. It's Andy. It's almost like a, it's almost like a soft rock song. Talk about that one. Home, hiding away, hiding away. 
that song really i played it for the band and they loved it it's like you gotta be kidding me it was just kind of a kind of a little doodling thing i was working on and it made it onto one of my tapes because they said just give us everything that you're working on even if it's just got just little parts and i that happened to be on there and i don't know it's i never really liked it much I think it's a cool little little piece of Kansas history, but I I, I see what you mean. It, it definitely is the uh, it's the one of the songs that like is the most different on the record. Um, oh, yeah. I did want to touch on some of the Carrie stuff because man, mainstream. The lyric on that one is so strong, and then the big proggy middle with the drums. Talk about that with Carrie bringing that song in. Carrie song coming in and um it was great i mean like i said there's there's nothing more exhilarating than singing a carrie Livgren song in fact i just sang on his do you know about his uh um his new record that he just put out his cantata oh the cantata yeah i've heard about that yeah i i, I play the part of um um oh gosh i'm getting old buddy um, <laughs> that's all right I played the part part of Lazarus. Oh wow, that's so cool. I need to listen to that. I haven't listened to the to the, to the cantata yet. I just know it was something he put out. That's so cool. It's very interesting. 
Nice. I I like that Carrie's still being creative. I think, like you said, he's a great lyricist. You know, one of the best of that era. And you know, anything anything new you can put out. Well, him and I have a song. It's called "One Out of One," just sitting in the can. That's a mind blower. Oh yeah. And I keep trying to say, Carrie, what are you going to do with that? Can I put it on my record? No. I'm going to save it for my next solo record. <laughs> well, when's that going to happen? I don't know. <laughs> it's like. It's such a great song. Actually, there's two songs like that. One out of one, and this, I forget the name of the other one, but really a really, really a cool classic Carrie Lugman melody. Nice. So those, are, so those are newer songs. That's not older stuff. That's like recently recorded almost. Probably. Yeah, this stuff like saying just a couple of years ago. Wow, that's cool. I'd, I'd love to hear that. Uh, Incident on the Bridge, I think, is a great closer to the album, and I love the whole... Yeah. The lyrical imagery of that one yeah it's great any thoughts on that one um another classic carry song i mean I, I don't know what to say any more than that i mean whenever carry would come with a song and it was like i bit you know i just bit on it same with the rest of the guys in the band like okay carry bring more bring more bring more but he was preoccupied with other things and i understand that man he We've been touring with the band for uh, 10 years or so. You know, everybody, everybody gets a little burned out and wants to do something different. kind of like it's definitely the lost kansas song and that's perfect lover uh, it ended up being on the best of was that recorded during like the drastic measures sessions or was that like after the drastic measures tour it was recorded after the after the drastic measures okay so was there like talk of like doing another album without carrie or was that just strictly for no not, not really we we never really broached that subject i think they wanted to continue with me but um when Carrie left and, and Dave Hope left, and I just felt like it was time for me to move on. Yeah, yeah. So I think, so I, made, I think I made the right decision because I, you know, it went on to do a lot of things that God heavily used me in. Absolutely. And uh, I never looked back. I mean, I, I oh, I should have done this. I should have done that. 
why didn't I do this? And you just can't live your life that way. curious because because like there are some like shows like after 80 like some like 84 shows listed like what were there any shows after that original drastic measures run or were there like no shows played without carrie and you like and you in the band no there were no shows without carrie now okay just curious no. so no. You, so you left the band after after that song um at, when you were leaving kansas at the time like what were you thinking like okay because did you want to like maybe do some more alfonte stuff did you want to step into more of a production role? Like where was your headspace at as you, after you left Kansas? Uh, I wanted to go out and secure a record deal for myself, but it's not what God had planned at that time. And we were getting hit on to produce records right and left. And I wasn't really a producer and I, you know, I didn't, I never thought of myself as a producer and I never had produced a record, but I was just kind of thrown into the fray and one thing led to another and you know, here, 10 years later, we, have, we, we produced 150 records, you know? Wow. Was, <laughs> was Petra the first one? I think it was Sweet Comfort Band. Okay. What do you remember about that experience? Just working with a really great singer, Brian Duncan. And, you know, those guys always, they always, always had really good songs. And, you know, I was, I was in and out. I think I was still doing some stuff with Kansas at the time. So Dino kind of did the heavy lifting on that one. And then they did, we did an Allies record with Bob Carlisle, which Dino also did the heavy lifting on. Very cool. Um, so after the, there's one other song in this area that, that's kind of floating around, I just realized I forgot to mention. Uh, there's an Elfante song on the St. Elmo's Fire soundtrack. Yes. How, how did that end up happening? Like, was that when you were still trying to like find a record deal of your own or was that just... Yeah, that's exactly what happened. With, uh, oh, what record company did that come out on? Uh, I want to say MCA or whatever. Anyway, we had submitted a demo tape to them. And somebody, somebody in there heard Young and Innocent because it was, it was a demo on that tape. And we got a call said, man, David Foster wants to put this on the record. So I said, you know, David Foster's heard it already? Yeah, he's in love with it, man. He's in love with it. So we got to work with David on that. And another song that I felt should have been a hit but the but the movie started movie started uh, tanking at the time, so they pulled back they pulled back the budget on the on the music. Hmm. That record sold six or seven million copies. It was hugely successful. Yeah, that soundtrack did well. I'm sure that was a that was a boon for you with having that song on a soundtrack. Oh yeah, it was nice. 
Uh, what are your memories like from working with Petra? Like they're kind of like a legendary band in that, you know, Christian rock scene. Like how did that end up happening? Uh, it just, it just happened. Um, great memories. I mean, really strong ministry, good people, committed, committed believers. Um, kind of hard to get things done <laughs> um, for reasons that I won't get into, but um you know, every record, every, every record has its, has its challenges, you know? And so, you know, we had to navigate through a lot of stuff that was kind of setting its ways in the band. And we, we kind of had to get in there and tear things apart a little bit, but the end result proved to be right. Yeah. I think that's what a good producer does. I think a good producer can come in and shake up a band and in a way make them uncomfortable, but they produce something you know, truly magical because of that uncomfortable. Like they're thrown into a new circumstance and have to learn how to react. That's exactly what happened. We made them very uncomfortable. <laughs> awesome. And I think it worked out. I didn't, one of those Petra records you produced end up winning a Grammy? Uh, three of them. Wow. Nice. Very good. Uh, so also in that era, there's a new band, uh, Mastodon, uh, which that album, that first album was legendary. Talk about that. Oh, Mastodon was, it was a bunch of songs that I had put aside for my solo records. And we got asked to do this uh, band Mastodon. So I ended up having to give up all these songs that I was saving for myself and put them on Mastodon, both, both records. It's Jungle Out There and Loft Cardio. Yep. And I was really bummed about that because most of those songs were meant for my record. And it just kind of, just kind of took on a life of its own and, there's a ton of great players on the record. Dave Amato from Mario Speedwagon, David Pack from Ambrosia, um, just, you know Tony Palacios from Guardian. Um, a lot of different drummers, a lot of different singers. It was kind of just this this um, carnival of of great musicians. And we'd hey, come on and play a solo, man. All right, let's do it. Oh yeah, that's killer, dude. So, no, Mastodon was, was very successful in Europe. Very, very successful. Did you ever tour the project in Europe or was it just like, a, like meant to be like kind of like a studio project? It was meant to be a studio project. We, I mean, it was, we did some shows, but I had to sing everything. We couldn't get all those singers. Right, yeah. I think on the record, there were about six. I think um, the first record, Dave Amato sang most, most of it. You know, he took Gary Richrath's place in Ariel Speedwagon. Yep. Dave's got a great voice. Like yeah, he does. For, even just for backing vocals, he's got a good voice. Yeah, he's he's all over young and innocent too.
so yeah, that, those records are like revered. And uh, if listeners out there, uh, if all you know is John from Kansas, I recommend go checking those out. Those are great records. Um, so as we kind of move out of the 80s and the 90s, there's more production and stuff and stuff like that. Uh, like what, what were the 90s like for, for you? Was it just mostly like kind of focusing on like, you know, working in the studio? I know you did a couple solo records. Like how do you view that era? Well, we were still producing a lot of records, you know, like Fear Not. And uh, we did, I think, one or two Bride records. Guardian. Uh, one of my favorites called The Brave. Have you ever heard that band? I've not. Well, if you haven't heard The Brave, you're missing out. Trust me. I'll, I'll check that it, out. It, it's a fantastic record. Um, and then after that, I started, I, I told Dino, look, no more. It's time for me to make a record. And that's when Windows of Heaven came about. And I signed, I signed with Word Records and made that record. And it was pretty successful. Nice. I got, I got, that's one record I got to check out. I haven't been able to find a copy of that one. So I have to hunt that one down. <laughs> oh, it's, it's, it's. If you like my work with Kansas, you'll, you'll hear a, a whole different level. Nice. Uh, I, I did want to talk about another recent album. Uh, that is, uh, well, it started out as a John Alfonte solo album, but it eventually became Mastodon 3. Right. Uh, this album is really cool. Like, I remember, like, I found this because it just popped up in my suggestions on Amazon. I was like, oh, this is really cool. This is a new music from John. And uh, I didn't, what I didn't realize at the time was like, oh, the album's 10 years old. So talk about the history of this one. came out in Europe as a Mastodon record. It came out in the United States only because the namesake as John Elefante Revolution of Mind. It's really the same record except for Dust in the Wind is on the European version. Yep. Oh, we did a cover of Dust in the Wind. Um, that's really about it. Uh, in the booklet, it mentions uh, Carrie's playing on the album. Is he just playing on Dust in the Wind or is he playing like no, no, no. songs on the album? Carrie's on um, Carrie's on um, Slayer, Slayer Demons. Oh. And Carrie's also playing a lot on, um, oh gosh, I can't think of the titles. Um, One Day Down by the Lake. Oh, nice. Awesome. Really cool. And I, I love the version of Dust in the Wind that's on here. It's a, it's a really cool, like, new arrangement. You didn't try and do, you know, a straight up cover. You really did make it your own. You made it more guitar based. Like, where did that come from? Like whose idea was it like, you should do your own dust in the wind. Well, because I wanted to play it live and the original version isn't very, it's not very exciting live. You have to do, put it into like an acoustic set. And I wanted, I wanted a, 
I wanted to do a version where it really busted out in the middle. drums coming in and when i play it live to this day people just love it is that that's the arrangement you still do now yeah nice that's wonderful um and then you made a record uh after after this one i think uh where you actually had rich williams uh guesting on the album rich williams and i think phil ehart too right no not phil david ragsdale the david ragsdale okay yeah that 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 song will go down in history man it's probably probably the best song I ever I've ever written. This is how the story goes. Yep. And this is how the story goes. You must believe it all my friend from the beginning to the end. Cuz everyone lives forever. We just have to choose where my friend. And this is how the story goes. You must believe I said, hey, brother, 
Is there anything I can do to make you feel better from the pain? They tell us we're all terminal, but I don't believe a thing they say. They're only words. Science and technology to help us numb the pain. But far beyond any science, there is one thing that I'm sure of. A virgin had a son And a stone was rolled away So how can we be terminal Because he lives today I mean, it's, it's, I listen to it to this day and just say, thank you, Lord, because I couldn't have written that myself. It, it's, it took me about three months to write because I kept adding on and adding on and adding, like adding on to a house, you know, let's add another wing. Oh, we need another two bedrooms. Now we need a pool. It's like, <laughs> so I kept adding on and adding on and adding on. I think that's really, I don't mean to toot my horn, but I think it's just a fantastic song. Let's talk about your writing style for, for a second. You know, everybody, when it comes to writing songs, is different. Some people can just hear something and, like, spit out lyrics right away. Some people, like, need time. They need to really live with it. And some people kind of labor over it. And some people, like, you know, you kind of attribute, it seems like you kind of attributed to your faith in a way, like, like finding something to say. Is, is that accurate? Yes, it is. Um, I usually write from a biographical I'm sorry, autobiographical um, point of view, because that's what I know best. I, I know what I'm going through in a situation, and I know how I feel. I mean, it's, I can really relate to to that. You know, when I, whenever I try and write something from a from a distance, you know, about a situation that's happened, I find that harder to do. Except for you know, we we did it on a song called Exit Thirty Nine. That worked out pretty well. I don't know if you've ever heard that. I have not. But I'm definitely exit, exit 39 is on defying gravity. Okay, I'll have to check that out. You got to uh, catch up with some of these records, Alex. I, I do, man. Like, like I didn't I, when I was doing research. I was like, wow, there's so much out there I've not heard. So, uh, yeah, definitely gonna have to. Uh, let's let's talk about the new record. I actually got to I got to stream it a few times yesterday. Uh, the Amazing Grace. Let's start with the title. Like, not not necessarily the song, but the album title itself, The Amazing Grace. Uh, you know, that's a hint. That's a hymn we all know from growing up. Like. What is the well? That's, that's exactly that's exactly what it's not. It has nothing to do with the hymn, right? It's not Amazing Grace. It's the Amazing Grace, right? You know, it's it's what God has done in my life and your life many times. He's given us grace. You know, you don't earn it. It's just given to you. And to me, grace is is an amazing thing. And I've seen it in my life many, 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 many times. I've seen it in other people's lives and. It's, you know, that's why the word the is in front of the Amazing Grace. And it's also the title track on the song. I mean, on the record. It's a song called The Amazing Grace.
good one. Um, so the tone of this album is really interesting to me musically because, so in, in Europe, this album's coming out on Escape Music, right? Right. Uh, they also put out, they put out a Steve Walsh solo record a couple years ago. And I know one thing that they were kind of touting is, you know, we brought you Steve Walsh, now we're bringing you John Alfonte. Was there a conscious decision to give this album a kind of classic Kansas flavor or did that just happen naturally? Because I feel like there's some songs on this record that really have a strong connection to that past. Um, I don't know if it was conscious. I mean, it's just kind of in my, it, it's, it's kind of inherent in my writing style. Um. But no, I no, it, it, there, there was no purpose behind putting out a record on the same label as Steve Walsh. I mean, it, in fact, I think at first I didn't even know. Um, but then I, I later found out that Steve Walsh had a record. Was it Black Butterfly or something like that? Yeah, or Black Butterfly. Yeah. But no, I, there was. Uh, I didn't deliberately do anything to mimic Kansas, but it just. It just kind of always comes out, you know, if you listen to enough of my records, you're going to hear McCartney too. Nice. The one that kind of the most gave me that feeling was, and it's one of my favorite songs on the album is Won't Fade Away. some violin on that one talk about that song a bit there's violin all over the record actually yep but it's really, um, it feels really prominent on that song like, like yeah if, it is if, if 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 i didn't know if we didn't know what we knew i would ask you if robbie had played on it well it's because it's a solo violin yeah you know one that's not doubled or obscured obscured in the in the mix yeah. and you know that was that was by that was by design um that's a cool song man it's it's it just moves around so much. It, it, it keeps the listener on his toes. Absolutely. You know, and it's, in fact, we're, we're doing a video to that song right now. Oh, cool. I'm, I'm looking forward to that then. Um, yeah. Another track that struck me was, uh, not, not the bonus track, the one, like the closer, I think it's called, and when I'm gone, uh, it seems like you're singing maybe to one of your kids or something, or just someone who's like reached a milestone in your life, in their well, life. Singing, Talk about that I'm, singing, I'm singing about my mom. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, if you, if you listen to it a couple of times, you'll hear me reference the word mom, I think once or twice. Okay. And um, at first I wasn't going to put that song on the record. And then a lot of my friends said, no, you have to, man. That's, that's too close to you. It's, it's too, you know, it's, it's an important song, you know, about your relationship with your mom. And so we ended up putting it on the record. Have you, have you heard, um, did you check out the song Time Machine? Love that song. Yeah, that's, that's a cool track. Yeah, I love I love it. Like 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 what what how would you like 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 what what would you say is your favorite song on the album? Like you know now that it's now that it's done, it's about to come out. When you look back on it, what is your favorite? Probably we will be fine.
Toto-esque. It is. It is. It's very Toto-esque. Rock, rocks out, you know, very kind of Toto style in the course. Again, I wasn't trying to, <coughs> excuse me, mimic Toto, but it just happened. It's another way to, way to pull your influences in. That's very cool. Yeah. Nice. So, yeah, the record uh, in, the, in Europe is out right now. It comes out in the U.S. next week, uh, if, if, you're, if you're listening to this, or later it might be out right now. They can um, go to johnolefonte.com, and there's links for it. I mean, I, I can't – I'm not allowed to sell it personally, but if you click on it, buy now, it'll, it'll link you to a place where you can buy it. Okay. Very cool. I'll put that link in the uh, episode description. Great. Uh, Great. Well, John, this is a, this has been a lot of fun. I only got a few more questions to, uh, to bring this all home. Yeah. Uh, I just kind of want so this is kind of like a more general one. Uh, as you look back on your career and everything that you've done, you've done on it, you know, like wh- whether it's singing with Kansas or doing Mastodon or, do, or doing production, like, is there any like thing in the music industry that you want to do yet that you haven't done yet or you, someone you want to work with that you haven't got to work with yet? Well, that's a good question. I want to work with Carrie again, which I've done, but it's not out yet. Um, that's a tough question, man. <laughs> Probably my favorite producer in the world is Jeff Lynn. Oh, wow. That would be cool. What I would do to get together with him one song with Jeff Lynn and just do one song with Jeff Lynn, it would, I would say my life is now complete. Nice. I, I would I mean, love he, to that. He's so brilliant. The guy's so brilliant. He's got, he's got such an ear. He really does. So when Steve did leave Kansas, was there any talk of you ever – coming in again to fill his place or was that not even, you know? Yeah, it was. It was? Yeah, I forget what year it was. I'm going to say about five years ago. Uh, I met with the guys in Chattanooga, which is halfway between where they live and where I live. And um, we sat down and talked and I think they quickly got the, because uh, I mean, they they really wanted me to join, but then they, they went cold pretty quick because I think they realized that, you know, I was, I was very content in what I was doing and I, I didn't want to get on that regimented schedule again, of having to be these tour dates, you know, this many in a row and do this and do that. I think they sensed that I, that I was probably going to say no, even though I hadn't really made up my mind, but I was leaning towards a no, okay. you know, it's kind of been there, done that, you know, yeah, I know what you mean. It seems like touring is not necessarily, even though there's a lot of bands out from that era that still do it regularly, touring isn't always a young man's game. So I know what you mean. Well, I, got asked, I got asked to join Toto too, but I didn't want to be the singer that replaced other great singers, you know? Oh, wow. Like what, what year was that? That was maybe a year after I left Kansas, maybe 87. Oh, wow. So like that, that, was, that was way back then. Wow. I guess they were having some problems with Bobby Kimball. Yeah. And... Uh, they saw me at the Universal Amphitheater and oh, they wow. really wanted me to join. And, and the terms in which they wanted me to join just didn't jive with me at all. Hmm. That Universal Amphitheater show, that's another one that's on uh, YouTube. If you not, if you, yeah, that was a good show. Yeah. That's, that's really great. Cause I, I love that show because I love hearing obscure songs live. So to hear some stuff that probably, I don't know if it'll ever get played live again. Like everybody's my friend. That's such a fun listen. Yeah, it is. Very cool. And then this is kind of a tradition on my show. I always like to end on a warm, kind of a fun, funny note. What's, uh, have, have you ever played a show where you've either had something like a bit of a funny mishap happen on stage or just something unexpected? Like, do you have anything like that from like, whether it's your time with Kansas or touring now? Oh, yes. Okay. I got two and then I'll knock you over. Okay. 
The first one, speaking of Universal Amphitheater, the first night we played there, I think I had better than 600 friends in the audience. <laughs> they held about six or 7,000. I had a lot of friends, my family, you name it. And uh, the lighting guy was going to pour fog. He was going to do the whole fog thing as we came out. And I said, Merle, make sure it's not oil-based. Make sure it's water-based. Oh, yeah, it's water-based for sure. Because we, we, we played on a Mylar stage, you know, slippery Mylar can get. Okay, yeah. <laughs> and lo and behold, it was oil-based. <laughs> no. And I used to run down the stairs for Paradox. Okay. <laughs> and I slipped on my rear end. And I wanted to just stay there the whole show. Oof. It was terrible, man. Ouch. <laughs> it was terrible. It was so embarrassing. I, I couldn't recover from it that first night. I had a terrible night because I couldn't recover from it. Second night was great. Then another thing that happened to me once with Kansas, because <laughs> people just, you know, no matter how I sounded, they didn't like the fact that Steve Walsh was being replaced. So I'm over to the right side of the stage singing, I forget what song it was. And out of nowhere, I see this semi-giant object coming right at my face. Uh -oh. Somebody had grabbed a bar, like a, a new bar of Dove soap and threw it at me. It hit me right in the cheek. Hard. Oh. Oh. It hurt. It hurt bad. I mean, if I would have been somebody like Kid Rock, I would have stopped the show and went after the guy. Yeah. <laughs> I couldn't blame you, man. That's, that's, a, that's a tough one. Ouch. Oh, it hurt. It really hurt. Oh, that falling down those stairs in that oil-based fog was that that was I'll never forget that as long as I live. That, 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 that was your spinal tap moment. You bet. <laughs> but you know what, man? God God humbled me, man. He knew I was a little howdy, you know. So just, just a reminder, so, you're playing for your friends and family, but you're still human. Exactly. Very cool. John, I, I know this hasn't been the easiest interview to coordinate, but I appreciate your time. I appreciate you talking to me. Um, it, I, I love your voice. I love, I love what you do with Kansas. I love your solo work as I'm discovering more of it. So thank you for taking the time to talk to me. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. It was, it was great, Alex. I appreciate it. Awesome. Well, as, as John said, go get the record, go to his website, follow the link. Um, uh, got any dates coming up you want to plug? Um, yeah, we're going to... the. the See, we do a lot of corporate, a lot of corporate shows. Okay. A lot of corporate shows. But the first, the first um, ticketed show is going to be, it's called The Boot Barn in Colorado Springs. We're playing there two nights, um, July 29th and 30th. And I'm, I'm sure there's going to be some more before that. I mean, we do some casinos. and, But I usually, I usually post it all on Facebook so people can definitely know where I'm going to be. But. Again, we do a lot of corporate shows, man, and, and I really like the corporate shows. So it was good talking to you, Alex. Yeah, you have a good, great, have a great evening. Talking. Yep, good talking to you, John. Until uh, next time, I'm the Sly Dog. Peace, love, rock and roll.
Thank you for listening to the Sly Dog Music Cast. If you want to know what's going on, follow me on Twitter at Sly Dog Music Cast or Facebook at Sly Dog Music Cast. Thanks again for listening. Peace, love, and music.